Danny J. And I'm Jill Coleman. Welcome to the Best Life Podcast. Here, we talk about everything from success, money, relationships, and entrepreneurship to productivity, honest communication, positive psychology, and how to cultivate an abundance mindset. Make money, travel the world, deepen your relationships, live full out. This is the best life. Okay, guys, welcome to the Best Life Podcast. We are rolling. I'm here with Dr. Jay Tita, who has been on the podcast before. Uh, and when he was on last time, we talked about relationship stuff. As you guys know, he is my ex-husband, but also he is a uh, naturopathic physician, an expert in metabolism. And I wanted to get him back on so we could chat all things metabolism, hormones, and get really sciencey. So welcome. <laughs> We're taking it back. We this are taking we, this it is all we all this is all we talked about our entire marriage. I know. I think you helped me get through grad school. What I <laughs> you were hilarious. You loved like reading my book with me. You're like, let me look at your biochemistry book. Um, no, it's you know, there's very few people who uh, know the metabolism as well as you do. And you know, one of the things that uh, was always funny about you is you love just reading research. You know, for fun. Yeah. Like yeah. that's like the number one way you relax. Yeah. Is just reading papers. Yeah. And you know what? It's funny because even now, um, I look back at probably you know ten years ago. That's that's how long it's been now, yeah. right? That when we were, I, I see so much has um, changed, but also a lot of the stuff that we were speculating on then is now pretty solidified. You know, um, in terms of what uh, what we're doing. Like for example, uh, you know, the Matador study, which is a study that essentially that uh, talks about intermittent calorie restriction. Now, as soon as someone hears intermittent, they think intermittent fasting. This is not what we're talking about. What we're more talking about is the idea that you calorie restrict or you diet for a period of time, and then you um, stop dieting for a period of time. Now, some people will call these diet breaks or they'll call them refeeds, but that's also kind of a misnomer because typically when you think of a refeed or a diet break, you think about going back into um, just eating whatever you want. And that's actually not how it works. It actually works more like this. I mean, you have this beautiful sort of system you talk about, which is Moderation 365, which is essentially a maintenance style way of living. So what intermittent calorie restriction essentially says is it says, find that Moderation 365 piece or place, and then every once in a while throughout the year, have intermittent periods of you know, pretty stringent calorie reduction. Then you come back to the moderation, and this works really, really beautiful. Actually, they're starting to show that perhaps it's one of the ways that we can reduce metabolic compensation and some of this bounce back that occurs. The problem is what most people have been doing historically is they do that, and then they do the reverse. So this is instead of doing calorie restriction and then going back and doing refeeds and cheat meals and being off, you essentially go, I'm going to go calorie deficit, maintenance, calorie deficit back to maintenance, not calorie deficit, calorie excess, calorie deficit, calorie excess. So it's a really interesting um, you know, uh, sort of research angle because now it's showing that a lot of what we were doing was somewhat right, but we just need to now tweak it uh, a little bit, right? Yeah. Think about when you first did your first show, which was funny, right? Where oh, Jesus. We went through together and like you bounced back really quickly because the mentality was, oh, well, I've calorie restricted for eight weeks. Now I'm just going to go back and eat like the standard American diet. That's not the approach we're talking about. It's more calorie restrict and then go back to a normal, healthy way of eating where you're not calorie restricting, but you're also not 
going into calorie excess. So you mentioned, and I want to I want to dig more into that because that's that's key because we do have a lot of people who are listeners who potentially want to lose fat or change the shape of their body, mm-hmm. gain muscle, want to change their body composition. Obviously, it's not always about having to lose fat every second. I think that like yeah. we agree that that can't be the forever goal, but at some point, you know, people do want to potentially lose five, ten pounds, whatever. So. You mentioned metabolic compensation. What is that? Mm -hmm. It's, you know, here's the interesting thing about the metabolism. People think that, uh, at least we've gotten the message, most of us, um, through our dieting careers, let's say, that the metabolism is sort of this linear, predictable, calculator-like apparatus. But it really doesn't work like that at all. It's not really thought, shouldn't be thought of as a calculator, but it should more be thought of as a um, boomerang or a uh, a um, seesaw or uh, a measurement scale. It basically is anything that uh, kind of makes you, throws you off balance and then forces you to have to get back to balance. So a calculator obviously doesn't do that, right? So compensation just essentially means that if you do one thing, the metabolism will try to do the opposite. It tries to get you back to balance. So if you restrict calories, it goes, okay, now I'm going to constrain your metabolic rate and I'm going to ramp up your hunger and cravings because I want to recoup that calorie deficit like a seesaw. What goes up must come down. And what people don't understand is that the very thing that they're doing to lose the weight is the exact thing that's actually causing the weight gain in the long run. And so if you really look closely at the research, some researchers are actually even saying that dieting in and of itself is one of the potential causes of the obesity epidemic. So crazy. So in other words, however, if the more we diet and the harder we diet, the more likely we are to go off the diet and gain just as much. So I talked about this statistic a lot, and this speaks to what is metabolic compensation. 90 plus percent of individuals who try to lose weight end up failing. And two thirds of those individuals uh, gain more back more fat than they did. And actually now the research is saying it's probably even worse than that. So the failure rate of dieting is something like over three to five years is something like 99% failure, 1% When you're success. saying dieting, you mean cutting calories or increasing, getting into a caloric deficit. I mean getting into a caloric deficit. And by the way, any way you do it, here's another interesting study. Speaking of me reading research all the time, I, I, this was a study done on postmenopausal women. And this study essentially had these postmenopausal women, um, basically they didn't change their diet. They just said, we're going to give you aerobic exercise. And it was about 45 minutes of aerobic exercise, if my memory serves, um, basically five times per week. And they took this group of individuals through this and enough to create a calorie deficit. So it's basically steady state cardio, jogging on the treadmill, doing a step class, right? And then they looked to see who lost weight and who didn't without any control of diet. So what happened was 25% of these women who did this exercise ended up losing weight. They created a calorie deficit. Their body lost fat. That's great. Except what about the other 75%? Well, 50% of the individuals didn't change their weight at all. In other words, they overcompensated. They, they compensated for the calorie reduction of exercise with increased food. And so they didn't change at all. And then here's the really scary part. 25% of those women ended up overcompensating. As a result of doing the exercise, they overate enough to 
compensate for the energy they lost with exercise and even more. And they actually end up gaining weight. So think about that for a minute. Here's a group of people who think I need to exercise to stay healthy and lose weight, who actually, as a result of exercising, actually ended up gaining weight. And so, so I, is it like, should we just not exercise? Well, <laughs> that's what the first Should we thing not try is. to have a caloric deficit? The, it's a really interesting thing, right? And I don't necessarily know what my take is on that yet, because I don't know that I'm ready to say certain people shouldn't exercise, but I'm certainly at the place now where we have to recognize that some of us respond to exercise favorably. Most of us respond to exercise neutrally, like nothing really happens there. And some of us respond to exercise unfavorably. And so maybe, and this is just something to throw out at everybody, maybe all these super fit people we see out there exercising like crazy and having these great bodies and being able to maintain their weight or get lean and not have all the hunger and cravings, maybe these are the 25% who do really well on exercise. Mm. Maybe everyone else who's not getting results are the other people. And if you think about this, right, when we walk into a gym, I don't know about you, but when I go into a gym and, and when I used to be at those big box gyms, which I'm not anymore, I would see people year after year look exactly the same. Not one bit of change for the vast majority of people in the gym. And I think this study, even though it was done on menopausal women, essentially says just that. Now, I do have some you know, potential solutions for us, but we have to also look at when you're going to try to solve a problem, you first have to understand what is really going on. And for years, we've been told you can just eat the least amount possible, exercise as much as possible, and you're going to look like the people in the magazines, or you're going to stay fit the rest of your life. We never thought in a million years that by doing all that stuff, we were actually causing ourselves to look like couch potatoes and be couch potatoes that are that are uh, treadmill habit and CrossFit habit and boot camp habit and you know um, metabolic conditioning habit was the cause of our cheesecake habit. We didn't realize that that might be the case, and it's starting to look like that is indeed the case for, of course, not everyone, but a sizable percent of the population, which means if that's the case and if that's how the metabolism really works and if that's what we mean by metabolic compensation, then how do we lose weight deal with that? I mean, that's the thing. It's like, okay, so we know that over two-thirds of Americans are overweight. You know, close to 50% are like approaching obesity like at the, or it's approaching 50% at this point, like, te- like technically obesity. So what do you tell someone who comes to you and says – you know, I really do need to lose 75 pounds, like, you know, for health reasons, and I need to get my blood labs, you know, like I, all this kind of stuff. Where does someone like that begin? I mean, do they just begin with food then if it's not exercise? Yeah. To me, it's very, very simple. And and, and I want to see, obviously, you're, you and I are both experts in this field. So see if I, I pretty much can guarantee you're going to agree with me. But let's see every, everyone listening to this, see if you agree with me, and then we'll see if Jill agrees with me. To me, I'm at the point now where I say it is simply about one thing and one thing only, control, hunger, and cravings. That is ultimately what it is. Do everything possible to shut down hunger. So anything, what if I eat a dozen donuts? I'm, I'm down hungry and I don't have no, any cravings after that. Well, so that's the, other, that's the other piece, right? It's like we need to get to the point where you would never want to do that because it would be so um, filling and uncomfortable for you to do something like that. So we want to shut down hunger and cravings to the degree that you – a donut just doesn't appeal to you. Now, think about this. If we're out hiking all day, if we're running like crazy, if we're doing all this activity, then and we're raising stress hormones and especially cortisol, which kind of triggers us and helps us, makes us want um, highly palatable hedonistic foods, then we're going to want to eat donuts. We're going to want to eat the salad plus eat the donuts. However, if we're doing things to keep stress hormones down and control hunger, 
then perhaps we'll never even want the donut. And we can practice we can practice this moderation 365 that you preach where we take a bite, but we don't go off the rails. And to me, that means exercise enough, not too much. And perhaps if you're someone who doesn't like to exercise, simply don't. There's plenty of people all over Europe for centuries who didn't go out and hoist barbells and sprint up hills and flip tires who looked great and lived long, healthy, functional lives. And so part of my whole thing is that I do think we have to get away from perhaps the idea that we all should be doing and exercising like crazy. Think about it. The United States has more exercisers than any other country. We do more fitness-related things. We spend more money on fitness-related things, and we're the fattest. Now, I'm not saying that's the cause. What I'm just saying is that if that's definitely not the cure, right? It's definitely not the cure. It's obviously not working. And it's not working because we're stimulating people's hunger. Here's another, you know, distinctions matter. And I know you and I are all about distinctions. I'm always asking questions about like, okay, is this true or not? And one of the things is the whole fast metabolism thing, right? It's like, we should have a fast metabolism. And I always ask myself, like, is that true? What happens if we speed up the metabolism? What happens if we take amphetamines? What happens if we run around and do CrossFit? What happens if we expose ourselves to cold? What happens if we expose ourselves to heat? What happens in all these situations whenever we try to speed up the metabolism? What happens if we take extra thyroid hormone and speed up the metabolism that way? You know what happens? Hunger speeds up. Cravings speed up too. And usually the metabolism is smart. So, the, so it, it speeds up sometimes in excess. And so we end up consuming more. And then we, we look at the freaks amongst us, like the Michael Phelps. Like, well, he swims in cold water all the time, and he's lean. Well, he's one of the 25% that gets a response. What about all the 75% of, of the rest of us? That's where I'm, I'm moving towards with metabolism now. It's really um, that whole thing. So then I, I'll stop and ask you, what, what do you think? Do you, would you, in your experience, agree that maybe the number one thing is to combat hunger and cravings or is there something else that you feel like is uh that we need to attend to i think that is for sure that because this is it goes back to the um you know it was interesting when you and i were or like at the very beginning stages of metabolic effects right we were kind of talking about how calories don't matter a little bit and now like i mean yes they do matter obviously we know that but it's not all calories but i think there was a push uh, maybe f- 10 years ago, eight years ago, where like it was all hormones. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing, no, it still does come down to calories. So can you speak to, okay, so we have a lot of people, we've had a couple episodes that we've done. Danny Jade has done one on metabolic damage. We've done a couple on obsessive dieting, things like that. What do you say when there's, I don't know, on Instagram, someone's being like, it's all calories, right? You have like someone like Dr. Spencer Nadolsky, right? He's very much like calories in versus calories out. And it, it's like, yes, that is the bottom line. But then if you look at the comments on some of these posts that are very black and white, you see women on there being like, well, I was in metabolic damage. I was in adrenal fatigue. I was exercising three, four hours a day. I was eating 900 calories. I still wasn't losing weight. In fact, I was gaining weight. What's happening there? Mm. Well, I'll say a couple things here because it's interesting. Yes, when we first started out, I was more on the hormone track. And part of that is because I've always been a, a research guy. And I was looking at a lot of the research there that was pointing towards mechanisms that were seemed to be um, separate and apart from calories. And what, we, what our brain typically does when we learn something new is we tend to forget 
everything we learned before and go to the extreme. And so when I, in my younger years, I was a calories in, calories out guy. Then when, when you and I first met, my first book was more it's all about hormones guy. And then typically what happens is you read more and more research. You end up finding you know, the middle ground, and it really is about both. And so, yes, someone like Spencer Nadolsky, um, who I, I very much enjoy what he puts out, and I think he's, it's I think very he's important great. what he does. He's just brilliant and does a, a fantastic job. However, I think even him, if, if we had him here talking to us, he would admit, um, I think very clearly, that, there, that yes, calories matter, but how you get there is what's usually important. And that's the part about hormones. So I think part of the discussion has gotten confused because people don't quite understand what hormones are about. So when I say hunger and cravings are the number one thing that we need to attend to, I'm essentially saying hormones because what determines hunger and cravings? Hormones. And so, yes, we cannot lose weight without a calorie deficit. However, simply trying to lower calories um, and that being our main goal, we oftentimes can push hormones out of balance, which then makes it almost impossible to create a calorie deficit. For example, the study we just talked about, they're trying to create a calorie deficit with exercise. And so they do that. And in 25% of the individuals, the hormonal balance was maintained and worked favorably. But for the other 75%, there were hormonal compensations that led to them increasing calories. And so this is what we need to realize is that Calories, yes, but what controls calorie intake? In other words, these, these two things are not separate. The other thing that I, that I would say, and I bet you uh, Spencer would say the same thing too, is with these people who say, I, I have metabolic damage and I'm not losing weight at 900 calories. Right. We've, we have studies that are actually looking at this, and this is what's really tough to talk to people about this, is that pretty much when we look at this, we humans are fantastic at thinking we're eating 900 calories and actually eating 1,200 calories. and But so, even 1,200 calories is like nothing. Well, that's what I'm saying. Really? Think about the difference, and that's what I mean. 900 calories to 1,200 calories, right? It's not that much of a difference. So, and I'm going to go through several things that are happening here. So we're, you're, we're almost always eating more, and this has been shown again and again and again. No matter how much you regulate, it's almost like I, I'm, I'm to the point now where I'm like, if you really want to track calories carefully, just go ahead and start yourself in a 500-calorie deficit <laughs> and then start counting mm -hmm. because that's probably what we're looking at. So that's the first thing that happens. But the other thing that happens that I think is not, um, not really well understood, um, and, and you know, I've been reading research on this, is, is what we call a constrained metabolism. This is what's happening with people who are like, well, I'm, it doesn't matter. 900 or 1200 to your point, Jill, is still super low. So, most people should be losing weight on that. What's happening is the metabolism is becoming constrained. And by the way, it's not damaged. I actually like the, meta, the, the term metabolic damage because I think it just is a, it's nice for clients. They kind of understand, you know what, you've done something that's kind of thrown your metabolism off. But the truth is, it's just doing what the metabolism does. So here's what a constrained metabolism is. Essentially, it's like a, a governor. Um, do, do, do people know what a governor is? I mean, I remember this term. It's basically, you know, when you have a school bus and you put a regulator on its speed. I mean, you're like the governator? Yeah, who, like who, Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger? Schwarzenegger. <laughs> like that kind of no, governor? Oh. A governor is, from what I understand, <laughs> and maybe I've got the term wrong because I've said this term to several people before. They're like, what are you talking about? So my understanding is that if you have a school bus, right, yeah. it, you, a school bus has children in it, you want it to be safe, so you don't want that thing going over 75 miles per hour. 
And so you put a governor on the engine. It's something that essentially, I'm not a mechanic, but essentially keeps the engine from going too fast, okay. slows it down so that thing can't go over 75. So even if you put the pedal to the metal, it won't go over 75 miles per Got hour. Got it. Our metabolism does the same thing, actually, now we're finding. They, it it's constrains itself. So we think, here's what we think. We think when we burn calories, we have a resting metabolic rate. So let's, let's use Jill you know, for this. So let's say Jill's resting metabolic rate is 1,800 calories. This is the amount if she just sat at home with Pip in her lap and didn't move the whole day, she would burn 1,800 calories. Now, what we think happens is we think if she goes and does 500 calories of exercise, that that's just additive. 1,800 plus 500, 2,300 calories, right? They, that's what we think. But actually what happens is when you burn those 500 calories, the metabolism goes, oh, Jill just burned 500 calories. So I'm going to reduce her, her basal metabolic rate by 400 calories. So now instead of her basal metabolic rate being 1,800, now it's 1,400. And this is what, not only that, it also says, and by the way, let's feed her more because she's doing a lot of exercise too. So now all of a sudden, you think you're doing 1,800 plus 500, 2,300 calories, but really the metabolism took off 400 calories right there. So now you're only at 1,900 calories. Plus it made you have one or two extra spoonfuls of peanut butter because you were hungry. And now you're actually in calorie excess or just in maintenance mode. So you don't lose. And this is what happens with the metabolism. It is actually constraining itself. In other words, it's like, it's like one of those miserly uh, you know, accountants that you spend a penny there and it wants to save two, three, four pennies in response. This is how the metabolism is functioning. And it's doing it because it doesn't want us to starve. It doesn't know any better. It's actually protecting us. So then the idea for me is, and I could be wrong about this, you and you know, it's all but my my thing is that the metabolism is a stress barometer. And so it's measuring stress. And when it sees stress being really high in the system, it goes, let's put a governor on the system. Let's slow everything down. Let's constrain metabolic rate. When we take stress off the system, then it takes the governor off. And that's when it starts turning things on a little bit. And this is why I have shifted my approach with metabolism work over the last six years to a very stress reduction centered approach. It's one of the reasons why now I would much rather most people go for a walk, a leisurely or leisurely walk than I would having them do a CrossFit workout. It's also the reason why people lose weight on vacation oftentimes Mm. because this constrained metabolic effect is loosened. What about the opposite? I'm like, okay, Jade, I hear what you're saying. So if I cut calories and I've exercised a lot, my metabolism is going to compensate. What if I'm just like, you know what? I'm not going to exercise. I'm actually going to eat what I want. I'm going to eat a couple of donuts, whatever. Is my metabolism now going to get faster? Yeah, this is the really frustrating part. <laughs> Cause because I'm like, cool. Yeah, because yes, it does, but not nearly to the same degree. Okay. So that's what's really interesting. And so uh, and this is all in the research as well. When you read it, it will constrain itself pretty vigorously, but it won't necessarily ease up the reins. It won't necessarily be like, oh, now Jill's eating more. Let's let's go up to 80 miles per hour. Nope. It, it more goes like this. Jill's cutting calories. Let's go from 75 miles per hour to 50 miles per hour. Oh, Jill's overeating now. Okay. Let's go from 50 to 65. It doesn't want to necessarily go mm you know, back up that way. Now, clinically, you and I have played with this as well, but clinically, and this is getting into set point theory and yeah. settling theory and some of these things. Clinically, what I have seen with myself and a small amount of people, and, and I always like to be honest about this because I used to be in the clinic and seeing a lot of people. 
now I'm less seeing as many people. I see a lot of people going through my programs, but I don't get to interact as much. So this is maybe not as a robust as a prediction as it would have been five years ago when I was seeing a lot of people. But what I'm seeing now is that perhaps instead of doing the, the, the whole um, let me lose weight, regain it, and then lose weight again, it's almost like you want to set targets and seasonally pick times where you're going to be very specific to lose weight. And I'm even starting to look at it in the research and with myself that you pick very structured times. For example, I'll tell you one interesting study about, um, it was, I always say it was a Scandinavian, Scandinavian men. It's not Scandinavian men, but the study was published in the Scandin- a Scandinavian journal. But anyway, the study goes like this. They took a group of men, 12, 13 of them, small study. They gave them 300 calories a day. They either gave them sucrose, 300 calories of sucrose, or they gave them 300 calories of whey protein. Then they had these dudes- So table sugar or- Or whey protein mixed in water plus an electrolyte beverage. And then they had these guys walk nine hours per day. Now, this is like, you know, you and I did Camino de Santiago together. This would be like that. They go out and just slowly walk, not carrying a backpack or anything. They're just kind of meandering around. They sit when they want at times, but they're up and moving pretty much the whole day. Talking about 20,000 to 25,000 to 30,000 steps they get. Massive calorie reduction. As a matter of fact, the calorie deficit was in excess of 5,000 calories per day. Wow. These people lost about 11 pounds of fat in four days. So, you know, we always say, oh, you can't lose that much fat in a weekend. Well, you can if you have 300 calories and you walk nine And you can walk all day. day. So these people lost an extreme amount of weight in a very short period of time. And what was interesting about this particular study is they did not have the same metabolic compensation. As a matter of fact, when they went back to eating normally, now again, I say normally, not in excess. They're not going to Cheesecake Factory and like, oh, now that I've done that, let's eat. They just went back to eating a normal diet. They actually continued to lose weight for a period of about three days. Then they followed up with these men a year later. Nothing else changed, just this one four-day intervention, and they were still down about five pounds in fat. That is pretty profound. Now, again, it's a small study. It was just in men. Women didn't do this study. But I have been using versions of this on myself over the last few years to get myself down pretty quickly and also with clients and family. And so far, this looks like it's corresponding with what the research is saying, that this might be a better way with less of a rebound effect. Now, we'll have to wait and see, and many of you may hear this and try it and crash and burn or really be successful. And then you'll tell Jill and I, oh, that was amazing. But this is partly, um, I think, what we need to do to compensate for this, this, um, this effect. And notice that, by the way, a couple things. This was walking, not CrossFit, not marathon running, and an extreme, extreme calorie deficit. That's the second part. And the third most important part about this study was they did not go back to eating excess. They went back to eating normally. So think about Jill's, all of you are familiar with Jill's Moderation 365, Think about that as the baseline and then a very focused, very short, very strict calorie reduced state and then coming back to balance. And that looks like that might be one of the strategies we can use to, to intervene. When you say very short, do you literally mean three days or do you mean like a couple weeks or like, so one of the biggest um, frustrations that my clients have, you know, and I, I just have finished up a 12 week program working with people like literally for 12 weeks. 
Um, and I hadn't really done clinical fitness and nutrition in years. And so it's been cool to be in the trenches again. Um, and I do have some people in the group who are like, I have 50 pounds to lose. Like how, like, what would you say to someone who has 50 pounds to lose is like strap in for the next three years? Like what's the message there? Cause I think, um, you know, for like someone who maybe wants to lose the last five pounds or last 10 pounds, they don't have like the desperation urgency, like that's someone who is really overweight or whatever, like want, you know what I mean? Like when you just feel like I just want to get this weight off. And so oftentimes they'll jump to whatever the latest diet is because, and by the way, it's not just someone who's super weight, but someone who's maybe like who wants to lose fat. Like a a lot of us just, we have shiny object syndrome, but what do you tell someone who has like a desperation about, I just want to change my body. I just hate this. And I feel like I'm in a set point. I can be eating moderation 365, not eating terribly, but I'm not losing weight either. Yep. How do I start that process? Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful question. And actually, I think it's kind of simple in a, in a respect as well. First step, step one is basically move to moderation. Move to a decently healthy diet, a place where you're maintaining. Which people feel like is failure, by the way. People feel like it's failure. But here's the thing. We have to have a place of success that we can rest at. So it's almost like you're taking a diet rest. And we have to stop being in excess at times. And in order to stop being in excess in times, we can't spend prolonged periods of time in deficit. And so what we need to do is find this middle ground, which you are wonderful at teaching. That's the first step. Find that middle ground. So for now, typically I start people with a walking program and just getting them to eat a normal calorie diet, not excess, but also not something that feels like they're depriving themselves. This is moderation 365. It's, it's your sort of method. Then pick four times during the year where you chunk out the weight loss, where you do extreme weight loss efforts lasting no longer than two weeks, in my opinion. And then you go back to moderation 365. So there's a couple things here. You can never, ever eat like an asshole again. Sorry, you can't do that. If you want to lose 50 pounds, those days are over. If you're thinking you're going to take a diet break and do a cheat meal and all that kind of stuff, you're going to fail. I can pretty much guarantee you're going to fail. You can never go back to doing that ever again. However, you can live a pretty fun life. You can have wine. You can have tastes of things. You can taste everything. You just can't binge on stuff. And then you set my fall weight loss push, my summer weight loss push, my spring weight loss push, my winter weight loss push. And you stay, stay in that about a two-week period of time, and then you go back. Now, if you're not that patient, then maybe you can try it like this. And this is what the Matador study actually showed. It, it, was, an intermittent, it was a study of intermittent calorie restriction, and it was a two-week deficit. And the deficit was pretty mild. Well, depending on how you look at it, 30% is right on the edge of severe. 30% calorie deficit followed by normal calorie diet two weeks. Two weeks on, two weeks off two weeks on, two weeks off. And what they found is that these individuals lost more weight than doing it all at the same time and regained less weight than the group that was basically doing uh, continuous calorie restriction. So there's many different ways to do this. You can even do it cyclically, which I tend to do, where I pretty much, like my birthday was coming up and I I had this tradition where I do this birthday selfie sort of Hmm. thing where I get in shape. And I was fat, five, six weeks ago, and I still am, you know, not where I want to be, but I basically went on a really strict keto diet for about five weeks and shed 
a lot of weight and got myself into decent shape. And now my job is to hold. And hopefully my goal is, and I know this is crazy for me, my goal is to hold here until next year, until I do it again. And unless I, for me now, it's like when the mood strikes me, if I start feeling like, oh, I really want to get into another calorie restriction. But I'll ask you this because, and I'll, I'll have everyone ask themselves this who's listening. Think about this. What I found for myself is when I'm killing it at CrossFit, I certainly will start looking a little bit jacked, but I don't lose much fat. I just don't, not for me. And partly because I, my, I do get very hungry. But when I go like, you know, just walking and lots and lots of, you know, a keto diet or very low carb or very low calorie, that's when I see the biggest changes. And I, I do have enough experience with this, maybe not as much as I did years back, but I probably in the thousands based on my online community of people doing this, what I call eat less exercise, less approach, which is this sort of, I don't eat a whole lot. I eat much less than, you know, what most people would recommend, but I'm not exercising. I'm just walking a ton and I'm doing some basic one or two, three at the most weight training sessions. And that's where they you know, sort of get the results. And so I guess I would ask you, you know, because you tend to be a big exerciser. Do you notice this or not? And remember, the only reason I'm asking is not because I want you to say yes. It's more to illustrate we're all different. So it may work for you like that and it may not. And I would add everyone on the line should ask themselves the same thing because sometimes you might be one of these people. You're like, Jade, I don't know about you, but when I, when I exercise, my hunger doesn't go up and I get ripped right? For a lot of us, though, that's not the case. For me, it's not either. And I'm just curious what it is for you. So yes, I am a big exerciser in terms of intensity. My duration has decreased, as you know, quite a bit. So uh, years ago, obviously, I was doing two, three hours of cardio a day, which was insane. But now I do probably 20 to 30 minutes total. But most days of the week, people ask me, like, do you exercise every day? And do you ever? And I'm like, yes, I do, because I, I travel a lot. So on days that I travel, I tend to not work out. So I'm like, you know, if I'm home, I'm going to work out. But here's the key for me, and this is what I've noticed, is if I am not sleeping appropriately and I'm not leisure walking, I will absolutely have the most cravings and the most hunger. So the only way that I can continue to exercise that intensely, um, you know, and I exercise very intense, like the, and also recover and like maintain low hunger and cravings while eating moderation is paying attention to sleep and stress management. So interestingly, last year, about this same time last year, I lost like about, I don't know, I would say like six, seven pounds probably last year around this time, fairly effortlessly. I didn't change anything with my diet. Uh, the only two things that I did was I was walking more. I was probably, I went from maybe walking, I would say an average of maybe 10,000 steps a day up to like maybe 12 or 13,000 steps a day on average, which over the course of a couple of months is significant. Um, because I was just, I had my dog and I was walking her back and forth to, uh, doggy daycare. So it ended up being a lot more walking and I cut out drinking a couple nights a week. And it wasn't even like I was like binge drinking before then. It was just instead of drinking, I don't know, six nights a week, I was drinking like three nights a week or four nights a week. And that was the only two things. And over the course of about three months, I kind of effortlessly lost about six or seven pounds. And so that was really interesting to me because that was the first time in my like since I came out of the obsessive dieting that like I had that change in my body comp because I pretty much stay the same. Um, I think the key... Uh, for, I can speak from my own experience, is, is maintaining a level of satisfaction with my eating. As soon as I start to feel deprived, and it's funny because even just mentally deprived, like, so for example, this is hilarious. Danny J and I were doing a photo shoot like maybe nine months ago. And both of us were like, you know what? It'd be great to like lose a couple of pounds before the shoot, right? We're just kind of thinking in our head. Literally just the thought 
you know I'm t- yeah, uh, where I'm going to exactly go. Even the thought of restricting had me craving. Yeah. Like literally, I didn't change anything. It was just the thought of I should probably cut back. It was the thought of future deprivation that had me reaching for more chocolate and candy. Yeah. It's like, that's insane to me, but it makes sense. It makes complete sense based on what we're saying. So if we're listening to what Jill's saying, stress reduction, what was she doing for stress reduction? Well, sleep, critical. Next is um, walking is a beautiful way to reduce stress in many different ways. And and there's ways to amplify the stress-reducing effects of walking. One, learning. Anytime you get insight-based, you know, you get charged up, you learn something new, so you listen to a book, that lowers stress. Can let you know listen to a funny podcast that lowers stress. Hang out with your significant other, or call a family member, or a good friend that lowers your stress. And then one of the other key things that we might think it was a calorie effect, but the alcohol reduction is not a calorie effect so much anymore in my mind. One of the insidious things that alcohol does is dysregulate the autonomic nervous system. It throws you into a sympathetic. Mm. state in a very stressful state mm. so yes we think calories with alcohol well because we think calories plus lowered inhibition equals more food as yep. well it certainly does yeah uh, but one of the more insidious things with alcohol is it interrupts sleep mm-hmm. and it interrupts uh you know it, it directly uh causes issues with the autonomic nervous system so it is it is also a stress and so now i look around and i'm defining everything in the context of stress, which is a is a word that we have to be, you know, sort of really careful about. But I now I just go, we're doing a lot of pushing. And so we need a lot of things that are sort of an awe experience. And the awe experience is sort of like this. It's it's like awe in terms of awe looking at a beautiful sunset. And it's awe in terms of being like, oh, isn't that cute? And it's awe mm. in terms of, oh, doesn't that feel great? Right? Like all those experiences are the experiences that lower Stress. Walking does that. Looking at a beautiful sunset does that. Sex does that. Art does that. Massage does that. There's lots of things that do that that we don't pay attention to or think have anything to do with our weight management because we haven't really understood that metabolism is about you know uh, balancing stress. That the whole mm-hmm. point of the metabolism is to get us back to balance. And if we're out, you know, stressed out, the metabolism will send out signals. That's why I have this funny little acronym that a lot of people who follow me know. It's called HEC or SHMEC. And it stands for HEC is hunger, energy, cravings. SHMEC is sleep, hunger, mood, energy, and cravings. Whenever the metabolism is under stress, SHMEC slash HEC go out of check. And this has been um, probably one of the silliest but also most effective tools I've ever come up with in my clinical practice because it gives people a way to view their hormonal stress physiology without needing to even worry about getting lab tests and stuff like that. If your schmeck, sleep, hunger, mood, energy, cravings goes out of check, your body is under stress and you're probably not going to lose weight under that, those circumstances. So what can you do and what will you mm-hmm. do? <laughs> Pip looking at it. What can you do and what will you do to lower stress and get schmeck back in check? That's ultimately what the game becomes. And that is going to be different for some people because think about it. For you, Jill, I know if I told you to stop doing any resistance training or exercise, that actually is going to be a stress for you. That's actually going to work against you. So oftentimes when we think about exercise, we don't want to get into this thing where this black and white thing is like, oh, well, Jade's saying don't exercise. No, what I'm saying is do enough of exercise to help you be more stress resilient, not so much 
that adds extra stress to your system. And we mm-hmm. all know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. If you do a workout and you are drained for two days after and your schmeck goes out of check, mm-hmm. that's not great. If you do a workout and for the next couple of days you feel energized and focused and like, you know, like you actually did, you know, energized and charged up, relaxed and energized, slept better and all that, then it's good for you. But if you're, if you're one of these people that's spinning your wheels and there's a lot of you out there like that, I know, who are exercising like crazy and not seeing any changes in your body, I can guarantee your body, your metabolism has constrained yourself. Mm -hmm. And I'll say one other thing here because, and this is just a a way to, uh, a way of thinking that I think is useful for everybody. If I tell you walking is one of the best ways to lower stress and will help you lose weight, the first question everyone should ask, and, and this is a very sort of Socratic way of thinking, is to say, Okay, that's interesting, Jade. Can I think of any populations where walking, where they walk a lot and they aren't thin? And you can. Nurses, construction workers, uh, lots, there's lots of people who do this. So then you're like, well, what's that about? And that's about two things in my mind. One, it's about that even walking in some cases can become too much. So for some people, if you're doing 25,030 steps a day every day, then you probably need to come back closer to 10. But if you're doing less than 10, you need to come up above 10. That's part of what's, what's happening there. And so you always have to look at enough but not too much, even with walking, even with sleep, by the way. Mm. Too much sleep, you know, is not, you know, if you're sleeping 10, 12 hours a day, that might not, that might be too much. If you're sleeping mm-hmm. less than six hours per day, that might be too much. If you're eating too many calories, that's a problem. If you're eating too few calories for too long, that's a problem. And so we're always looking for the Goldilocks effect when yep. we think about stress and hormones. It's so good. It's, um, you know, it's interesting. I'm just thinking about, I've been really craving a lot of candy lately. And um, I, I'm so practiced at moderation that even like in my mind, I'm like, oh, I'm going to eat Sour Patch Kids all day today and like enjoy it. And I'm like, <laughs> I won't though, because I just know I won't. Like, that's <laughs> just not appeal to me. But it has been, uh, I just finished up a big launch and my sleep has been kind of shitty and nothing else has changed. Like workouts are the same, eating is the same. Um, and I think it's just, and as you're talking, I'm like, yeah, it has been like the last like three, four weeks, my sleep has suffered a little bit more and I have been more stressed, emotionally stressed because of the launch. And I'm like, yeah, that's probably it. Everything else is the same. And so last question, if someone is listening to this and they're going, okay, Jay, this makes a lot of sense. But I don't even know when I'm stressed. Like I feel, and I think that you would probably agree that as a result of having a huge dieting history, dieting in a sense kind of makes us dumber and we and it pulls us away from our biofeedback and being able to even know when we're hungry, when we have cravings, if our energy, like we're not even attuned to that stuff. So what's the first step for someone to get back in touch with those feelings like, what would you tell a client? Okay, how can you even, like, as you're talking, obviously that insight I just had is, is years of practice and like really knowing my body and knowing my, pro- my process. How do you help someone who is, who is tone deaf to their own biofeedback? Yeah. Well, the first step is to change anything right now. And the first change that I like to make is if you're the diet that you're essentially following, change that first off. Because once you make a change, then you can pay attention to what begins to happen to your physiology. For example, if you've been eating uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or you've been skipping breakfast and eating just lunch and dinner, in the first case, take breakfast away. In the latter case, add breakfast in. Do anything different and then look for the changes, Mm -hmm. right? 
This is how you do that. So, for example, let's say that I've been eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and I stop eating breakfast, not because someone told me intermittent fasting was good for me, simply because I want to challenge my physiology, right? Then I go and say, okay, what happened here? Did my, what happened to my sleep that night, my hunger between meals, my energy, my cravings, my mood? Was everything stable? And if everything, was, if everything stayed stable, Schmeck is in check, then you don't need those extra calories. And you just discovered a really nice thing to do there. There's many different things you can do. If you add, let's say, um, let's say you're constantly getting hungry when you come home from work, then change something. Add something on the way home from work, an apple and a handful of almonds or something. Try to do things that you perceive as healthy and see what that does. Do you end up eating less? Do you end up being less likely to binge on Ben and Jerry's? Once you change something, your, your metabolism will respond favorably or unfavorably. You're either your schmeck, sleep, hunger, mood, energy, cravings is either going to get better and more balanced or it's going to be thrown out of balance. Once you do that, then you start attending to, by the way, did that change add calories or take calories away, right? Did it add stress or take stress away, right? For example, to, to Jill's point, if I tell you all, hey, you're going to have to start cooking dinner every you know, every, you need to start cooking dinner all the time. Now, for some of you, that's going to add stress to you. For others of you, that's not. And for those of you who it's not, then that's a good move to make because you're probably going to have less calories because you won't be eating out, which tend to be hidden calories in food where you eat out. But for those of you who do, who it is going to be a stress, it may backfire on you because you'll try to do that. You'll cut up all the greens. You'll try to prep the food, but then you'll get hungry and go get pizza or something like that. So that's the first thing I'll say. Do anything different right now. Now, if you want to know where I'd start you, because most people be like, well, okay, that's... Well, people are scared. Mm-hmm. Like, if you just if I don't eat breakfast and you just told me to start eating breakfast, I'm going, okay, that's 300 calories that I'm not eating. Yep. What if I just start getting like and gaining weight like crazy and I can't stop? Yep. And to me, it's exactly the same question. We have to get over our fear. It, this actually goes into business too. It's like the first time Jill and I, which we did this together, actually invested in ourselves a couple thousand dollars for business. It was terrifying. And then you realize, wow, that just up-leveled me a lot. I, I learned a lot. I might not have gotten rich overnight, but I certainly learned a lot. And that is the game that you have to play. In other words, I would say get over it because if you're playing the game that you're currently playing and you're not getting results, you need to play a different game. And the different game is, yes, start doing things that might get you out of your comfort zone. That's the whole entire point. Now, if you want to know where I would start you, to me, it's soups, salads, scramble shakes, stir fries, stews, all these S's. <laughs> these are where you start 90% of your meals, soups, salads, scrambles, and shakes, soups, salads, scrambles, and shakes with low fat and low carb. Not because there's anything wrong with fat and carbs, just that that's a lot of volume of food with very low calories. And then you begin to fool around with the amount of fat and or starch that you add to your meals. And that will tell you something, right? So if you're, if you're let's say you're doing oats and eggs in the morning and you're doing um, sandwiches for lunch and you're doing fish and vegetables and rice for uh, dinner, all you need to do is go, okay, soup, salad, scramble shakes, and stir fry. So breakfast becomes just scrambled eggs and vegetables. Lunch becomes a salad instead of a sandwich. Dinner becomes get rid of the, the starch and add extra vegetables. And then you see what happens to your schmeck. And then you begin to add things back slowly. Now, here's the thing. If you don't like that, I know it's tough and I know it's a pain in the ass, but your metabolism doesn't care. It just doesn't care if this is inconvenient for you. And if you're not getting results, this is the place where I would start. Yeah, it's so good. So you guys, um, 
Jade ha- uh, shares a lot of really amazing stuff on his Instagram at JTita. Make sure you guys are following him so that you get all the great info. He's been doing a lot of great infographics, very shareable, very saveable. Uh, so make sure you check him out. What? Uh, where can people find you besides Insta? What are you working on right now? What? Uh, I know that you have many irons in the fire, as always, but what are you excited about? Um, JTita.com and Instagram. I, I'm on Instagram at JTita. And right now, I am my company, Metabolic Living, um, is launching a couple new programs and a brand new coaching program. Metabolic Living will be front and center in 2020, so I'm excited. So, about can that. people work with these coaches and in, in, in these methods? So, how, how would they yeah. start, get starting like, 2020 around February? Watch okay. for the launch. We'll be launching my methods in a very big way to the. The, the community. Awesome. Yeah. So make sure you guys go to jadetita.com and sign up for his newsletter if you want to get all the info early. And if you're just like, you know what, this sounds exactly what I need. And you want a coach to be able to walk you through this process, keep you accountable and be able to talk to them. Um, these methods are going to be going out in a big way, which is really cool. Thank you so much for being here. This is great. We'll have to do a part two, but we have to run to dinner right now. But uh, we have a lot more that we can talk about next time. Love you, Jilly. All Thank right. you, everybody. Bye, guys. Bye. Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving, plus high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H E R O.co.